Hello and welcome. I'm so happy that you are listening to this podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to my dear friend, Debbie, who has been such an instrument in my life as she's allowed me to watch her heal. And I've healed a lot while she's been around because she's been around for a bit. She's um, involved in Mothers Who Know. And um, I'm going to have her tell you how she became involved in our Mothers Who Know resources. And we'll get to talking about her story. But um, I just think it's so inspiring to me to notice that one of the most healing things we can do when we're in a traumatic place that's really hard is to just get more information. And then once we start noticing that information that I'm getting makes sense to me. It's, it's helping me. It's helping me to hear the spirit. It's helping me to, to understand myself in this new situation that has some difficulty in it that I didn't expect to be standing in. But it just helps me to, to learn as much as I can about me and about any kind of healing resource that connects uh, to the spirit in a way that it speaks to me and helps me heal. And one of the reasons that I'm excited that for you to hear from Debbie is she has done this to such a great degree that it has just um, been inspiring to me to watch that whenever there's a meeting and it's like, Everybody's invited. There is no barrier, no registration. Just come. She's there. Uh, she comes, and often her husband will come with her. Uh, but she's just been a great example of that principle of, you know, the, I, the Lord, am bound when you just do your part. Be available and do, do what I say. Uh, then I can help you because you're available. So anyway, so Debbie, tell us where you're from, a little bit about your life right now and your family, and then how you came to be involved in Mothers You Know. Okay. So right now I'm in California. And so I guess I can say as of today, I am from California. I moved here um, the beginning of the year. And we moved as empty nesters, but we do have five children ranging in age from 21 on the low end to 31 on the high end. We have two daughters and three sons, and they are amazing and wonderful and teach me so much and I enjoy learning from them and being with them. Um, we do love to gather even though we live in three different states. Um, just uh, over the weekend we played Pictionary online and that was really fun and also really humbling. Um, it turns out that one of my talents is not drawing. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it was great to gather even though it was virtually and, um, and just laugh together. 
Uh, I love connecting with my family members and um, hearing the clever things that they say and watching them interact with each other. I love hearing about my children when they're getting together and um, going out to lunch and, you know, and I just didn't even arrange it. So, um, so that's a little bit about me and about us. I just think it's so fun how you and your husband met too. Will you tell that? That's just fun. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. We, um, we both love music and we both happened to play the viola. And so we were in an orchestra together. And so we like to say that we make beautiful music together. Um, as the years have passed, we have not been practicing very much. So we need to do some more practicing to, to get up to speed. But um, that always has been fun to to have that common background because we are two very different people with different hobbies and different ways of thinking. And so that's uh, a wonderful way to connect through music. So great. And what brought you to Mothers You Know? So in 2017, I was invited to attend an organization, an event that I had never heard about was called Utah Coalition Against Pornography. And I had moved to Utah the end of 2015. So I'd been there about a year and, um, and heard about this event and just really felt that it would be helpful on so many levels for my family, for my church calling. And so both my husband and I went and we went to different classes so that we could get as much information as possible. And we took notes and we went to, um, to the tables and you know, got information from all of the different groups. And it was a wonderful experience, but I have to admit, it was kind of overwhelming because there was just so much information and I almost did not know where to start. But a few months later, I was speaking with a friend in my neighborhood and she shared that um, she just didn't really feel comfortable coming to church because she just felt that her life as a result of the addiction of a family member, um, that it looked so different than everyone else's life at church. And um, I said, well, I'm not sure that it's really that different. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in my life right now. And as I did, she mentioned, she said, oh, you need to Google Maurice Harker. And so that was like a memory in my mind. I thought, oh, I've heard that name before. Where have I heard that name? And so I, um, I did Google and I, I pulled out all of my uh, UCAP information and found life-changing services and found um, 
found Sons of Helaman, and you had actually done a presentation at UCAP that year. Um, I think it was for youth, so unfortunately I'm not in that category anymore. But I had seen your picture, and so I started to be able to sort of connect some dots. And so um, I found out about mothers who know and warrior mothers who know. And so before my son was even in Sons of Helaman, I attended and, um, and listened. And really that very first day, I um, was just so touched by the things I heard and the interactions I saw. And um, I think that's when healing started, really is um, just thinking, and I think I even said some things that first day, I'm not sure, but I just thought, well, this class is for me, so here I am. But um, it was like no other support group that I had attended up to that point. And um, so I come every week now. <laughs> So that's how it all started. And then later on, my son did reach out and he was skeptical. He had tried other things and he, um, he just wasn't sure that this was any different than, than anything else he had done. But he too, um, after that first first class, that first group, um, just felt that that was a place where he could find hope and healing and be supported by a group. So, so that's how he found it as well. Well, it's kind of significant just that um, you put it that you, you were just so touched when you came to that first meeting um, and that it was, you felt different, and that he also thought it was different. Can you put your finger on what was different? That is a good question, and I think it's probably multiple things that were different. Um, first of all, I'd heard people talk about shame, but I didn't really understand it, and frankly, I'm still learning about it, but I think I felt and he felt that we were gathering and there was, there was no shame. And so I think that was, that was significant. I also think the fact that we were learning principles that we knew to be true and learning how to apply them in different ways. So, um, so things were not just academic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Suddenly those general conference talks um, and scriptures that we were reading, they had such a purpose as we were um, trying to use laser focus to to change. And I think for me as a mother, um, I think it was very important for me to understand 
that even though we'd tried things before, that um, that it was worth starting again, and and that there was hope. I think that first time that I came, the reason that I was moved to tears afterwards is that I was feeling this emotion of hope. And that was something that I had not felt before um, in interactions with therapists or fellow, um, fellow support group members. And, and it was just so lovely <laughs> that, yeah, that I wanted more hope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and isn't it the most miraculous thing when you know that even though things look this dark or this full of fear, because of the Savior, there's always hope. It's just, yeah, it's something I know that life-changing services in general, um, which is the umbrella that Mothers You Know is under, is one of the things that it does so well is talk about the spiritual side of healing, but also the scientific side of healing. Um, and it has this beautiful way of combining those two things. Um, but it's just really um, has this really strong element of who the real enemy is and how his goal, his plan um, in the spiritual battles that we fight against him is to keep us in a place where because we're in this hard place, this thing that we don't know how that's going to go away or how we're going to fix that and that that we've tried hasn't worked, that we tried have it hasn't worked yet either, but to just really see that it's not you that you're fighting. It's not that hard thing that won't get better that you're fighting because um, that's just a hard thing. That's just something that's part of mortality that's a hard thing. Um, and it's all covered under who the Savior is for us. But the adversary wants us to totally connect our identity to that hard thing. Yeah, I think it's so helpful to be able to talk about spiritual things. Um, the adversary, the Savior, and, and connect the dots from the spiritual to the, the physical, the chemical. Um, that is just huge. And, and another thing that was, was huge for me was realizing that I needed to change too. <laughs> that it wasn't just that I needed to learn and I needed to grow and uh, do things differently. That it wasn't just my son um, that, that I could learn and I could be blessed by, by doing things differently. And that was, that was really helpful too. And just, um, took a lot of, we talked about shame, but also anger, um, took a lot of anger away just to realize we're all in this together. We're all learning. We're all trying to change and we're all trying to turn to the savior. Mm. So beautiful. Yeah, there's um, that piece of 
you know, how the enemy tries to get us to be focused on the big problem because that's what is causing all our pain. But when you consider your, your son and that, you know, this is a problem, this is a challenge we're having. Um, how did you go about discovering in your family that this is a big challenge we're having and how did that make you feel? And um, what was your process of, just your growth process of going, that's how it felt. And then this, and you know, I, I know a little bit of what you've told me before, but I just think the way you say it is so beautiful. Well, I did have a really interesting experience with our youngest son. Um, and it was not my first rodeo. So I felt like with this youngest son, there's a 10-year age gap between my oldest and my youngest, as I expressed earlier. And it's sons on both ends. It's two sons, then two daughters, then one son. And um, so anyway, I, I felt like with this youngest son that we had done everything humanly possible to teach and to protect. And so the, the way that I found out is that my husband was out of town and my son and I had planned to go to the temple to do baptisms. He was going to do baptisms and I think I was going to do another ordinance and we would meet afterwards for lunch. And um, we had said that when we got up in the morning, that would be the first thing that we did. And so I got up in the morning and got ready. And he just didn't get up. And the baptistry was only open in the morning. And just a few minutes before the baptistry um, closed, he came out of his room and I could tell that something was not right. And um, I pointed out in a very angry way that our time was almost gone and this window of opportunity had almost passed. And um, very often when I feel the spirit, it really is just a feeling. But in this situation, I heard words, and the words that I heard were words that I did not expect. And the words were, ask him if he's worthy to go to the temple. So I asked him if he was worthy to go to the temple, and he immediately started sobbing and said no. And I was shocked and angry. And um, again, I heard the spirit in words. And this time I heard, go hug him. And I can promise you that that was like not what I wanted to do at that point. And so I needed to hear words. 
to tell me what to do. So I went over and hugged him. And I won't say that everything was smooth sailing after that. In fact, it's still not smooth sailing. But I will say that I know Heavenly Father loves me and loves him. Just like it says in um, 1 Nephi eleven seventeen. I do not know the meaning of all things, but I do know that Heavenly Father loves us and that um, that that was sort of a breakthrough moment to allow us to start um, start the process of healing and, and it was not immediate but I can always look back to that day and even though it was horrible um, know that Heavenly Father loves me, Him, us, our family. Ah, so beautiful. Yeah, thank you, Debbie. It makes me consider part of your journey had so much to do with um, the way that your boy, I mean, one of the most uncomfortable things for good boys, like that's a theme in Sons of Heal, and I'm noticing, in fact, I wish, if I, I, wish I could sh shout it from the, from the housetops that every single boy I've ever met in Sons of Healing, the mother that stands behind that boy will tell you, this boy has skills. He is one amazing boy. He would, he would be a target to someone who didn't want more light in the world, didn't want amazing things to happen toward building God's kingdom. He would definitely want this. My son would have a target on his back if that were true. But as a mother, I don't think we consider oh, that's what's going on here. We just consider, we just want to make sure you avoid all things hard. And we all, we want you to be successful and choose right and stay on the path. And so when big hard things come, and it seems like, wait a minute, that wasn't in the plan. Um, that's not what we were hoping for. In fact, this is so far off the path of what we were hoping for or what I expected because you're amazing. Right? I didn't see this happening to you because I associate um, having challenges with sexual self-mastery with anything to do with pornography or masturbation, anything like that. I don't associate that with you ever. And so when we recognize that that's what their struggle is, it doesn't match at all. And can you describe a little bit about what that does to a mother's heart and how you could, how you got to the point where you could, because that experience you shared is so lovely, but there's still all the emotions that come from, okay, now the <laughs> journey toward healing. And the adversary thinks, I'm going to get in 
you know, in that space in your mother heart and your mother mind, how did you see your son not as the addiction or his challenge and still as your boy? Because um, what, what you started out at it is amazing, but it's hard to stay in that place. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's, it's a daily process. But one thing that has really, really helped me is um, for each of my children trying to remember who they are eternally in the eternal scheme of things. And so um, a couple Christmases ago, I took each of their patriarchal blessings and I just wrote 10 things about their eternal identity for each of them that I wanted them to be able to remember, but also I wanted to be able to remember. And that has been super helpful. Um, and I, I just took short little phrases so that I can have those phrases um, in my mind. And I did it for myself as well. And it was, it was an interesting experience because I put it in their Christmas stockings that morning. And, um, and I did one for my husband and one for myself. And my sister-in-law was visiting and she wanted one too. So she, she happened to have her patriarchal blessing with her, but I think um, it's so helpful to look at others around you as they are eternally and, and to give that grace to yourself as well. Uh, so often we, we get stuck in the temporal and how things are right now. And we think that things will never change. Um, but really, if we can open up our view to the eternities, then um, that's the reality. Sometimes we get stuck in the reality of today. <laughs> but by looking at, at those eternal truths found in their patriarchal blessings, I was, I was able to do a reality check. And, and figure out what the real reality is. So that's one thing that's helped me over the years. Ah, so wise. That's so helpful. It's so helpful to have concrete, tangible things that we know are sitting right there or where to find that when it feels like my feet have been pulled out from under me again. I'm being stuck <laughs> in that place of darkness and that hope kind of waning a little bit to have things like that. So incredible. Another interesting thing about your journey is just the courage that you and, you know, especially your son had to have with the transitions you had in your life. Uh, tell, me yeah. some, tell me some of the things that you have learned about just adjusting to adjustment. You know, you've had a lot of that and, and you're, uh, you've handled it so gracefully. I know in your private moments, it probably hasn't felt really graceful all the time, but 
but just you're trying to have a perspective of receiving personal revelation about things, but some things just weren't in your control. And even your boy's journey to healing, how often the start over happened. I mean, it, that right yeah. there, that right there says your boy is a very courageous, good boy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, if my husband were here, he'd be laughing right now because I always say to him, I embrace change and he knows that I really don't. I just want things to stay the same and be really simple and really easy. But, um, due to some amazing opportunities, we have had a lot of change in our lives that we did not necessarily seek or expect. And, um, and it's definitely affected our whole family, but I think particularly our youngest child has really been affected by, by all of the change just because he was the one still at home. But because of moves and school for him and um, wards being realigned and bishops being changed, um, he worked with 10 bishops before he went on his mission. And it was so interesting because we, um, we tried to choreograph his return from his mission in such a way that he could go back to the ward and the stake where he had left from. And, you know, even though his plane ticket said he would be going back there, um, <coughs> COVID came up. And um, so he ended up flying to California. And so once again, scrambling to find someone who could release him. <laughs> so he was released by a state president, wonderful state president who he'd never met and, um, and had an opportunity to interview with a bishop that he had never met um, at the end of his mission. And so, so like I said, it's not over, but um, some really wonderful things have happened because of different personalities and and um, it's kind of amazing how you can hear something from a different person and hear it in a new way and so even though it was the starting over was so frustrating and so heartbreaking to watch from the outside, the positive, if you're spinning it in a positive way, then to, um, to think that he was able to interact with so many wonderful ecclesiastical leaders who, who each had a different way to reach out to him and um, to help him, that's really a miracle. And, you know, just that transition, you know, 
if you think, okay, I'm, I'm in a repentance process. I'm trying to master um, some challenges that I have. And now I have to tell another bishop and another mm -hmm. bishop and another bishop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. And you yourself even noticed some things about working with bishops that I think are really important to share because one of the things that we notice as mothers is, you know, we think, well, we know that our voice isn't always the most influential voice, even though we'd love it to be. Um, and we can <laughs> look at a situation and think, I, I think I know what would be helpful here. But we really do depend a lot upon, you know, will our son go and speak to someone who can assist him in and have influence with him in a way that I can't. Um, and so just your experience of what you noticed as a mother, as your son was going through this with bishops too, with your, just, would you mind sharing that? Cause it's so helpful for moms to hear that. Sure. Well, as with most, most things I'm, I'm still learning, <laughs> but um, at first, I, I guess I was sort of being passive, and I, I wanted my son to have a relationship with bishops and be going to interviews and be learning from bishops, but I was also in so much pain and trauma and I was kind of waiting for the bishop to reach out to me and say, hey, how are you doing? Are you feeling okay? Is there anything I can do? And there was just, there was just absolutely none of that. And um, so when we moved to Utah, um, in, in 2017, uh, the bishop called me in one day and asked if I would serve as the Relief Society president. And I was just really shocked. Um, first of all, I was, I was new in the ward. I'd just been there a year and had been happily serving in primary and was just really focused on um, future generations, kind of frustrated with the current generation. <laughs> and, and so I, I just felt like um, that was where I needed to be to heal. And um, it was interesting. He started the interview by saying, is there anything hard going on in your life right now? <laughs> And it turns out that there was something really hard going on in my life that I, I shared uh, with him. He had, the bishop had already spoken with my husband. And, um, and so I, I said, yeah, let's, let's talk about what's going on, you know, together with the bishop. And, um, and so I thought that we were clear on things were hard at our house. <laughs> and then he extended the call to be Relief Society president. And I thought, oh, wait, did you not just hear <laughs> what 
<laughs> what we just said <laughs> that um, yeah things are tricky over here and um, and so after I extended that shocking call um, and I was just thinking how many sisters do I do I even know in the ward how can I be the the Relief Society president but as I was still processing all of that he said I need you to be the Relief Society president right now so that you can help me as a bishop understand pornography better, understand the way that it affects families better, and understand the way that it affects women better. And um, it was interesting because at that point, I, my heart was just softened and I had a change of heart. And I said, absolutely, I will serve. And my poor husband, who was in the room with me, and at that time serving as young men's president, said, um, wait, do you just want to take some time to think about this? <laughs> or, you know, he just um, thought maybe a little more processing time was in order but you know when the bishop put it that way that i need you to help i sort of switched from being in that passive mode of ask me how i'm doing ask me what trauma i'm in to okay how can i help those around me how can i help other women who are affected how can I best serve families? And so it was really a switch for me. And so as I went about that calling, that was really something that I thought a lot about. And it was interesting because our ward boundaries were changed. And, and so we got a new bishop and I was still the Relief Society president. And that sweet new bishop, told me afterwards that, um, you know, mind you, I'd been in for nine months or so. And so he was put in and, um, and he was just kind of like, wow, <laughs> this is shocking. <laughs> but I, I just, um, I just was not afraid to, to speak up after that first bishop had, had said, I need you. I just thought, okay, new bishop, these are the things that you're going to be facing. And so what can I do to help you prepare? And so it was really, it was really, um, it was like flipping a switch for me. Um, I was no longer passively waiting for people to serve me, but just thinking, okay, what can I do to help? Mm. That's so awesome. That's a real shift because when you can, when something hard is happening and all of a sudden you switch to, how can I use this hard? Use it to benefit, use it to grow, use it to help. Um, the hard shifts from being all consuming and getting us focused inward on how am I going to handle this and am I okay? And when will this ever be okay to, okay, I have a purpose. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to use this hard. And 
it's amazing how that um, enhances healing and insight. And also there's this huge piece of like forcing ourselves to come out of isolation and recognize how many people are in isolation that we couldn't see before. Yeah, so healing. So in being involved in um, life-changing services and Mothers Who Know and the books that are, um, you know, used as resources in the programs here, all those things, um, what, what are some of the things that the Spirit led you to that sounded like, that really stands out to me as part of my healing, part of something that if another mother were to come or were to say, why, why is that any different? What would you say? Well, here's what I would love for you to know. I like the way you said that, things that the Spirit led you to, because really there is so much good information. And I, um, I sometimes find myself in a place of overwhelm where I feel like I just don't even know where to start. Um, and I think with this particular situation, um, that's probably a pretty common emotion, mm -hmm. just that what is the next step? <laughs> where do we go from here? And so I am really grateful for the things that the Spirit has led me to because I cannot do it all at once and I cannot learn everything at once. And so I have had to trust that my little efforts, going to a meeting here, going to a meeting there, reading the scriptures daily, listening to general conference talks, listening to good music, that those little efforts will be guided by the Spirit, and the Spirit will teach me what I need to learn that day. Um, but something that has been really significant for me because I do love to work hard and I do love to, to do things just to realize that my child, in fact, each of my children and all of my family members, all of the people that I love, they already have a savior and it is not me. So no amount of things that I say or emails that I send, or texts that I send, or plans that I make, or, um, you know, none of that is, is going to save them. Christ saved them. And the miracle is that he has already done it. It's already happened. Um, and so... My job is to encourage and to um, make sure that I am doing the things for myself that will help them and not, um, I know at first I was just so sad all the time, had troubles eating and sleeping 
And I really think watching me in misery was not do, doing any good <laughs> to anyone. And so um, watching me turn to the Savior, I think, is what, what my family members need uh, because he is their Savior, too. So just understanding there's only one Savior, and it's not me, has been huge for me. Thank you. Often we, um, it comes out well. I know when I had that realization, I just it. I needed someone to tell me, well, what do I do with myself then? Like, if I can't go save that, if I can't do what I've always done, like, want to make sure that gets better, want to make sure that happens. Um, I just want to be watching it constantly. I'm consumed with whether that's getting better or not. Um, what should I do instead of make charts and have another conversation and, and um, do another, put another reward on that or another, let's set a goal. You know, there's just so much that a mother can think of that makes it, even if it's not working, at least it makes us feel like it's going somewhere, you know? So I just think um, that principle of, that comes right off of, well, then what do I do? What is my work? If God's work is to save me and save my family, all my children, if he's the savior, um, what do, what do I do if it's his work and glory to bring to pass all the saving and all the delivering and all the healing? And I don't have to fix this. I really kind of took that on as my role, fix it, uh, help it, all that. Um, so now I really have to sit here and face it. I have to face me. I have to face what's happening with my child and allow that to take its course. I have to face that. So what do I do instead? Because it makes it easier not to have to face it head on if we're always trying to come up with the solution. But I really think that's part of our healing is to say, um, I need to recognize and acknowledge where I'm at in my life, on my journey, spiritually, how I see myself, how I see other people, and especially as you've taught us, how God sees us how God sees us and that he's got us. So now I have to believe it while I'm facing this and figure it out. So you shared something with me recently that has so much to do with something we promote in our classes under Mothers Who Know, which is um, there's only one savior and it's not me. Um, my work is to support God's work. My work is to support God's work. Like, he's got this. He's the healer. And so as, as the mother, like you said, I work on me so that I can be an example of I know who the healer is. I've learned that if you not, do not doubt, God will deliver you because he's delivering me. Um, it's like pointing to the real source of healing and they're watching us do it but they can see it in our voice and in our eyes 
and in our behavior and how we wait and how we stop freaking out and crying so much, right? And so our strength, but how did you notice um, supporting God's work? Tell us how you've kind of set up something for you daily that helps you to support his work. Well, a couple of thoughts um, as you've been as you've been talking. Um, so I just wanted to say one thing that has really been a breakthrough for me is realizing that sometimes the spirit prompts me to do things. You talked about charts and um, conversations, and sometimes the spirit prompts me not. To do things and not to say things so it goes both ways so one thing that uh, that has been helpful for me is is realizing that when I say my morning prayers I do my work for the day I look at my calendar and see what's on my calendar and, um, and I write it down in a little notebook that I carry around with me. Um, but then, as I'm saying my prayers, I tell Heavenly Father what's on my calendar and ask that I may know the order that I should do things in because there's no way I'm going to get it all done, right? Um, but then also ask if there's anything else that I should be doing that I'm willing to do his will and recognize that, that what he has is on my agenda for the day is more important that what, than what I have on my agenda for the day. And that has been really helpful for me because that is a time that I can point to when I have seen personal revelation because thoughts come into my mind and into my heart that were not there before. Things that I should do, um, things that I should say, people that I should reach out to. And again, a testimony that God loves his children and that I can help to, to show that love. Um, but then in terms of what you mentioned about what can we do, uh, this morning when I read, I was led to a scripture that is very familiar to me, but I saw it in a new way this morning, and that's Doctrine and Covenants 123.17. Let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power. And I've been learning a lot about spheres of power and realizing that my power is actually pretty small. <laughs> um, and I, I guess I, I thought it was bigger. <laughs> And so, really, my power lies in um, 
consulting with Heavenly Father every morning and saying, this is, this is where I am and I'll do everything in my power to love you and serve you. Um, but then the next part says, and then may we stand still. And we often say, stay by the tree. And that's, that's what that is. It's standing still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. But I think if we, um, if we're willing to live close to the spirit and be ready for revelation, then we'll know what we can cheerfully do in our power before we stand still and wait in a very, still in a very cheerful, positive way, but realize that we've done what we can in our power and that then it's our, our chance to remember and have the utmost assurance that the salvation of God is coming. Maybe not in our time frame that we would imagine that we had ordered, but that it's coming and we want to recognize it. So good. Yeah. So incredible. It's amazing to just that principle of um, just making ourselves available. I've always loved that quote by Elder Maxwell that um, I think it's given me so much comfort and helped me to adjust to um, what do you do instead? Try to go and get things. And I don't mean that mothers should never make charts or have conversations or, or think of good ideas because I think that's one of our gifts to do that. But when you're dealing with something um, that's at a compulsive behavior level that it can be termed as addiction, um, it's really probably not the most appropriate thing to put charts and conversations, consequences and rewards all around that. Unless your loved one says, oh, that would support me so much, <laughs> right? Um, because really what they need is to be loved and cared for where they're at. But this quote by Elder Maxwell um, is, um, God doesn't ask about our ability, only our availability. And then as we prove our dependability, he increases our capability. And to me, that just said, Karen, all you have to do is be available. It doesn't matter if you don't know what to do and you don't have the abilities to know how to handle this right now just be available so the real battle is to keep the spirit stay by the tree so you're available um, to beckon from the tree when god says here's how you can support my work the spirit's whispering don't say that or do say that don't do that, or hey, that might be good to go ahead and try that right now, or to just watch. Not a good, not the timing isn't right for whatever you're thinking or hoping, and then give us, he gives us the strength where we're in that spot of being available and dependable 
to stand there with the utmost assurance. He gives us the strength to do that while we wait. And then he increases our capability to just continue to follow that pattern over and over again to just be available. I don't have to know how to fix this. Remember, I'm just facing it the best way I can and Christ's going to help me. Well, Debbie, in closing, is there something that you would want to share about what staying by the tree means to you or what miracles you have found or messages you've found in a mess? Well, I think one thing that has been really powerful for me is to notice good things that are happening when I can um, when I can be grateful even when things are messy then the world looks so much better and um, it's not something that I do perfectly but when I do that I can feel the spirit and that's that's what I'm fighting for and so it's something that takes daily effort and daily practice but noticing the many amazing things around us can um, can just really be such a blessing and and sometimes people call it coincidence but I, I recently had an experience um, I mean it can be with the most mundane things um, I recently had an experience with toilet paper where um, I I was moving I knew that I was moving and I usually what you do when you're moving is you get rid of as much stuff as you can but I was at Costco and I saw a brand new case of toilet paper and felt that I should put it in my cart and it didn't make sense that I was putting it in my cart I knew it didn't make sense but I felt that I should do it so I, I did it anyway and it was such a blessing when we moved here in the middle of COVID-19 when there was no toilet paper to be had to open that box with a case of toilet paper that had not even been touched. It had not even been opened. And, um, and let me tell you, things were horrible when we were moving. Um, it, it, during a pandemic, that's just not the best time to move. But every time I, I stop and look at that case of toilet paper and notice it, it fills me with such gratitude and um, and it's just so so very wonderful to have <laughs> and a knowledge that God God knows me and and thought of the details in this situation so it makes it easier to to know that in other situations that are maybe not so temporal, maybe situations that are more spiritual and more eternal, that he notices those situations too. And 
that I can, I can cheerfully do everything in my power and that I can then stand still and let him do his work and his, his glory. And, and when I notice that, to recognize it and, um, and continue that cycle of being, being cheerful and noticing the good things that are around us, being, being full of gratitude. Our warriors are learning so much about how important it is to recognize and be able to identify um, why they fight and why they don't give up and how that assists their frontal lobe where they bat where their values lie and where they plan and create and feel the spirit. Um, it keeps their frontal lobe online when they can ask their brain important questions like, hey, why are you fighting? And why don't you just give up to um, how important is it for a mother to also know why she fights and why she doesn't give up? And what would you share for your reason for fighting and not giving up? Well, I did a little experiment and I've been really interested in habits lately. That's one of the things that I've been learning about. And um, so for 21 days, I wrote down why I fight. And I, um, I went through and, and looked at that. And really, if I were to, to summarize it, it would be just the same as um, President Nelson summarized in general conference. He said our general conference our latest general conference can be summarized by two words, hear him. And I, I fight to, to hear him, to be available um, to hear him through the spirit. When I am available, I can feel hope and I can feel peace. Um, I don't feel overwhelmed when I'm feeling the spirit when I'm seeking to hear him, I feel joy. I feel that I can remember my place in the eternities and not be so stuck in what's happening right in front of my face. I feel that I can remember that um, people can change. I know that I've changed. I know that other people can change, but it's, um, it's through feeling the Spirit in an attempt to, to hear Christ and follow Christ that we can experience all these, the other myriad of emotions, but it's, it's all under that umbrella of, I want, to, I want to be available to the Spirit so that I can hear Him and follow him. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here, Debbie. 